In an effort to best support our audience members, we'd like to offer a content warning for certain themes and subject matter contained within this episode. Please check the show notes for a detailed description and timestamps, and take care of yourselves. You're listening to the Intergenerational Queer Audio Project. Presented by Kaiser Permanente's Educational Theater Program in collaboration with Oregon Children's Theater. Written by and for a diverse queer community. This project took time, effort, and artistry of folks residing all across the U.S. through digital avenues. As we created a space for telling our stories, it is our utmost responsibility to acknowledge the original people of this land and the violence, theft, and genocide that came in the form of ethnic cleansing and forced removal that displaced or murdered many indigenous people of the land. This project primarily took place in Portland, Oregon, on the traditional lands of the Multnomah, Clackamas, Tualatin Kalapuya, Malala, Cowlitz Bands of the Chinook, and many other tribes who had made their homes along the Columbia River. We know that many of the tribes that survived genocide across North and South America remain resilient, active, but ignored. It is easy to overlook the carbon footprint of digital technology and the effects it has upon our climate which directly impacts indigenous cultures. The artists in this project wish to uplift the intersectionality of queerness. We know homophobia to be a product of colonization and that our indigenous two-spirit family continues to be amongst the most vulnerable in current times. We ask that you walk with us as we mindfully explore the ways in which we as settlers on this land benefit from what was stolen from these indigenous tribes and ways we continue to perpetuate injustice towards these tribes. Nothing can restore the countless lives, land, and loss of culture they have endured. However, we have provided resources with which you can actively participate in learning more and loving these communities. Let us use our own stories and experiences to bring us all to freedom. We are not free until we are all free. Because we are releasing this project purposely in June, we would like to honor two historic events in our history of black and brown elders that coincide with this month. We are free to create the way we do because of the trans black and brown elders of our community. On July 4th, 1776, slavery was still legal in the United States of America. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed more than 3 million people of color living in the Confederate South. However, it wasn't until June 19, 1865, when Union soldiers marched into Galveston, Texas to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation that people were freed. Juneteenth has been commemorated yearly since 1866 as a celebration marked with prayer, family, and community. We would also like to acknowledge that it wasn't until 1964 that discrimination on the basis of one's skin color was made illegal. On June 28, 1969, New York City police officers raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village. Multiple nights of unrest ensued. Incensed about the abusive mistreatment, three women of color, Stormé Delarvere, Marsha P. Johnson, and Sylvia Rivera, each played a role in getting the crowd to fight back. It was a rebellion. It was an uprising. It was a civil rights disobedience. It wasn't no riot. Stormé Delarvere. Each year, LGBTQIA Americans commemorate this event as we continue to strive to achieve equality. This is a collection of audio art, songs, stories, poems, and reflections. This is a message to our younger selves. We ask that you listen on their behalf. Intergenerational Inspection 
Are the elders abusers, our future users? Who is to hold all this blame? Who will heal all this pain? Shame to waste all this knowledge. Here's the truth all the same. The, the cycle, cycle is, is a, a circle. circle. It, it ends when it breaks. Hello. My name is Keller Dean Henry. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm 42 years old. When I'm unsure, I remind myself, what every Haitian kid proudly knows, that I am the descendant of revolutionaries whose fires and voices won't be dimmed. So many of us live in the crossroads of our culture's expectations and the people that we need to be. My voice rises, the pitch of my ancestors, frenzied with lessons and guidance waiting to be shared. Only the lost timbers of grandmothers and sisters remain, demanding their legacies of language, of love, be carried on. My queer blossomed from concrete sidewalks, from angry shouts and hidden whispers, from behind protective skirts I watched, wordlessly observing and imagining a future that might resemble mine. My politics found fire in the streets, with a rainbow of strangers demanding to live and love and die with dignity, still too young to be a part of the struggle that I would one day inherit. Hello, my name is Mallory Mirash Rafi. I use she and they pronouns. I am 24 years old, and this piece is titled A Short Reflection Backward and Forward. Jose Munoz says that queerness is not yet here. Queerness is an ideality. Put another way, we are not yet queer. We may never touch queerness, but we can feel it as a warm illumination of a horizon imbued with potentiality. We have never been queer. Yet queerness exists for us as an ideality that can be distilled from the past and used to imagine a future. The future is queerness's domain. That's the end of the quote. At 16, I didn't believe in a thing. I was a blink, wearing what was expected, acting as expected at home, acting differently at school, writing what was expected of me, and knowing soon, so soon, I would be far away in someone else. Someone I couldn't have been then, not yet. This longing started shortly after age 11, when I made an active and deliberate choice to fit in. Straightening my hair, sandwiches to school instead of horisht, that sort of thing. Before that year, I had kind of a rough go of it. Nothing original. Terrorist jokes. My teacher asking me if it's safe for me to go to Iraq over the summers. I'm Iranian. After I made the momentous decision, things weren't inexplicably solved. But honestly, it kind of worked. I was left alone for the most part, wasn't gawked at. I had a mediocre time under the cover of what assimilation I could get away with. I went to high school, and then I went to college. And over time, the political climate changed. People changed. I started to feel comfortable in my body, my culture, 
and suddenly, and all at once, I started to experience something I wasn't expecting. Shame about the choice I had made as a kid. I started to feel a real disappointment in the child who had chosen to become someone they weren't. I felt like I had to hold myself accountable. Feeling guilty that I didn't stick to what I knew was a truer version of myself at a younger age. I held on to that for a long time. Not really sure what to do with it. Not really being comfortable with it. But... I've recently come to the conclusion that I need to meet my younger self where I was at. I can only speak to my own experiences, to all of the intersections that make up a life, my life. But the choices I made weren't always propelled or inspired by people who looked and felt like me. I didn't always see myself in my teachers, my mentors. I saw parts of myself in people like my mom or my aunts or my grandmother, but they didn't, couldn't see my whole self. And so I made choices within a system that wasn't built for me, knowing that's not who I would always be. This is, I believe, a quintessential part of queerness. As queer people, we don't always have people like ourselves to look up towards. So instead we look inward to our own instincts for a glimpse into our own future. And sometimes that instinct may tell us to lay low, to stay safe, to wait it out in order to preserve yourself, knowing that a future version of yourself exists out there, even if you can't quite see it yet. You can't expect that younger self to see up and out into the many intricate systems of the world and choose not to participate in them. Systems aren't transparent things. There is a way to look back and thank your past self for allowing you to be here today, in the many ways that you are. A crossing of time that you couldn't possibly have known way back then, but somehow felt. Here's the rest of the quote from Munoz's Cruising Utopia, the then and there of queer futurity. I hope it gives you something to hold on to. If not for now, then for then. The here and now is a prison house. We must strive, in the face of the here and now's totalizing rendering of reality, to think and feel a then and there. Some will say that all we have are the pleasures of the moment, but we must never settle for that minimal transport. We must dream and enact new and better pleasures, other ways of being in the world, and ultimately, new worlds. Queerness is a longing that propels us onward, beyond romances of the negative and toiling in the present. Queerness is a thing that lets us feel that this world is not enough, that indeed, something is missing. Hello, my name is Eloise Johnny. I use she-they pronouns, I'm 34 years old, and I wrote a letter to my younger self. Dear Lou, Someday, a man you work with will tell you, it makes no sense to be Assyrian, since there is no Assyria anymore. That it would be like saying, you're Roman. You'll tell him to tell your grandmother that, 
because she reads her Assyrian Bible every day and goes to Assyrian church every week. You'll laugh and roll your eyes and later wonder if it wasn't the same thing you've been telling yourself this whole time. It makes no sense to be Assyrian. You don't speak Assyrian. You were born in the valley and you grew up in a very white town. You can't even point on a map where Assyria used to be. What does it mean to be Assyrian? And do I meet that criteria? How is it supposed to feel to be a part of a diaspora when you're so detached from that shared identity? You'll never quite know what it means to be Assyrian. You know what it feels like to be light-skinned with dark features that other children sometimes tease you about. You know that when you were little, you couldn't wait to grow up and dye your hair blonde and wear blue contacts and fix the things that made you feel different. After 9-11, you knew you didn't want other kids to know you were Middle Eastern. If no one asked, you'd never tell. Someday, you'll work in customer service and people will ask, what are you? You'll hate the question and rely on a stock answer. Guess. Then you'll watch them try until they run out of ideas. You'll amuse yourself by never offering the correct information. If you don't guess, I won't tell, you'll say. And you'll relish in their stifled frustration as they attempt to observe decorum, because they'll never guess, and they won't like it. No one guesses Assyrian. Watching them squirm when they don't get an answer is your small reward for having to endure the question in the first place. They don't know what you are. And, I mean, whatever. Join the club. Someday you'll wonder less what it means to be Assyrian as you peel back layers trying to figure out what it means to be you. Someday you'll feel pride about being Assyrian and still not even really know what it means. You'll love the warmth your family carries with them and how they taught you to never not feed your guests. You'll miss seeing your grandma sip hot tea in 90 degree weather, sweating over her cup because it's just what you drink in the afternoon. You'll wonder at old videos where you understood and spoke Assyrian as a toddler before you forgot it all. Don't worry, Lou. Someday the question, what does it mean to be anything, will lose its relevance. What does it mean to be queer? What does it mean to be gender fluid? What does it mean to be neurodivergent? What it means is what it is. And what it is, is just you. And you'll always have you, which will someday provide comfort and security in a world full of chaos. I hope this makes sense to you. If it doesn't now, it will later. I love you and I'm proud of you. Yours always, Eloise. Hello, my name is Elijah Castillo. I use he, him pronouns. I am 16 years old and I wrote this reflection on my younger self. I was in a room with no doors or windows. It was a huge room and somehow I could see, even though it was completely dark. How long had I been in there? As I began to look around, I felt a hand slowly press against my shoulder. There you are. I was wondering when you would show up. I whirled around, only to find... nobody. Hello? There was no answer. I looked around and spotted something covered in a sheet. Maybe it was a way out. I took off the sheet, and under it was a giant mirror. It was covered in dust, and I tried to wipe it off, but instead of seeing my reflection, I saw a moment of my childhood. 
When I was in preschool, it was a girl's birthday. Instead of bringing the whole class cupcakes or cookies like someone would normally do, they decided to bring little paint sets for each person. There were wooden frogs with blue paint and flowers with pink paint. I never really liked frogs, and blue was my least favorite color, so I decided I might as well have a pink flower. But when I asked my teacher if I could have the flower, she started laughing. She gave me the frog and told me to start acting like a boy. But what did that mean? Was a boy supposed to be like a blue frog? My four-year-old mind couldn't understand what the big deal was. Who decides who is who and what is what? Apparently not me. I opened my eyes. What was that? I looked at the mirror, and the glass stayed motionless. Then, from behind me, a voice said, That wasn't the first time something like that happened. This is just the surface. Look closer. I don't know why, but the voice seemed... familiar. I took a closer look, and this time I became immersed in a series of memories. I decided to stop cutting my hair when I was three. Over the years, it grew longer and longer, and with that, a question followed me wherever I went. Are you a boy or a girl? It is a valid question, but it gets pretty old after the hundredth time. Eventually, I learned to answer on autopilot. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Uh, I'm a boy. I never questioned it, and never thought about what that actually means. Thousands of moments, from complete strangers to close friends, all wondering the same thing. But in the back of my mind, I always wondered why it mattered. You're getting there. It was the voice again. I didn't know where it was coming from, but I somehow knew if I faced it, there would be nothing there. They continued. One more push and you should be ready. This is it. I had no idea what they were talking about. I peered deep into the mirror and saw a silhouette of someone that wasn't me. And then it went back to one of the darkest moments of my life. I was 12 years old. It was almost summer, and I was having a great year with my first year of middle school. But that wasn't meant to last. I had gotten into an argument with someone, and in the spur of the moment, they grabbed a pair of scissors and chopped off my hair. It was something that was with me all my life, and to me, it was something that defined me and set me apart from others. All that was taken away in mere moments. To me, my hair was who I was, and without that, I didn't know who I would be. I was told maybe it was for the better. Now you can look like a real boy. But did I really want to? The figure in the mirror. The voice. I was starting to piece together what was happening. At the same time, I heard the voice one last time, this time in front of me, coming from the mirror. It was my reflection. You have been having the same dream all your life. You knew it was there, but you couldn't quite put your finger on what it was saying. But this time is different. After years and years of questions, I finally have my answer. It doesn't matter what other people say. I decide who I am for myself. I am me and nothing will change that. Hello, my name is Nikki Nicholson Klingerman. I use she, her pronouns. I am 30 years old and this piece is untitled. There is only me. All information from other sources comes through and is interpreted by me. I am the source, the knowledge. Was I there in the beginning and just forgot? Did my cells warm in the sunlight 
highlighting my grandmother's cheekbones? Did my DNA participate in the assault of not just one, but two of my blood? Am I responsible? Am I accountable? Am I free? Am I required to pay a debt my past helped create? In the end, will I reap what I, they, sow? Are fates compacted, impacted by limitations and oppression? Sometimes I cry for the hurt girl who lost her way and almost dies. Have I walked across enough glass for you to believe my pain? Or do I blame myself now for the cracks in my toes? Did I measure up to the expectations of my ancestors? Were those expectations even there to begin with? Ancestors, are you listening? Or am I punished for honoring honorific mothers and fathers unaligned by blood, but by the same love? Are you listening? You who have fought invisible battles to ensure our rights on school boards, PTA, and HOA meetings, who miss thousands of funerals, reunions, Sunday dinners, and community potlucks, just so we might live? Are you listening? Those who took advantage of our status quo, who treated others of safety in our few safe places. Are you listening? Who is listening? Can I choose my ancestors? Can they pick and choose which parts of me to keep or leave? But who are they when in here it is only me? Hello, my name is Tina Ueno. I use she, her pronouns. I am 28 years old and I wrote this poem. I grew up watching my bachan ring her singing bowl, always three times. Her hands together in prayer with an offering to my grandfather. Miso soup, natto gohan, whatever we were having for that meal. She'd do this three times a day. Breakfast lunch, and dinner. I never knew my grandpa, Oji-san, since he died when I was two. But this devotion, though death drew them apart, intimate in ways that I should look away, but too mesmerizing to not. I hear these three chimes, and I'm brought back to humid islands. I hear these three chimes, and I'm in my bachan's living room. I hear these three chimes, and I'm back to the sacred place. On Sundays, I'd sit on a bench in church. 
talking with friends, aunties, and uncles about the week prior with plastered smiles and lots of hugs and a deep, hidden secret. I'd hear the chords on the guitar and feel the shift of the congregation. I'd watch my father close his eyes and release his burdens. I'd watch my mother, a musician at heart, glow and ascend with the chords. The hymn was her heart song. I'd watch them both reach with their voices to God. And when I thought no one was watching me, I'd close my eyes and let the hymn take me to the sacred place. I listened. I watched. I stayed silent. When I left home, I went across the ocean and left my bachan singing bowl. When I left home to be my whole self, I stayed away from the bench at church. And I looked and looked and cried for the sacred place. Then one day, I walked my dog, forgetting my earbuds, <laughs> with nothing in my ears but the noise of my anxieties and shame and guilt. I walked. I walked, and my breathing got harder. I walked, and soon all I could hear was the soft inhale through my nose and the bounced exhale out my mouth. <sighs> In again, and out again, in longer, out harder, smoke trailing my lips on the brisk March morning in Portland. Then I heard it, the smallest voice but clear as untouched ocean, I never left you. I cried, I breathed, I walked, and I let my breath lead as I walked with divine love and my ancestors by my side. I let them fill me and embrace me. I let myself be loved. Now, I let my breath take me to the sacred place. And now, all that is left is you. Who do you come from? And where will your breath take you? of our episode. Thank you for listening. Please visit our website at www.octc.org to support more programs like this one. A family resource guide can be found in the podcast description. If you need support, we have other resources for you in the description as well. And don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes. 
This episode was created and performed by Elijah Castillo, Keller Dean Henry, Eloise Johnny, Mallory Mirashrafi, Nikki Nicholson Klingerman, Tina Ueno. This project was directed by Cambria Hereda. Co-directed with music direction by Ash. Co-directed by Marisa Sanchez and Justin Charles. Sound design and editing by Jason Rouse.